Welcome back to Being Olivia. I am excited to bring you all another episode of What the Hell is Up with Grief? Um, (laughs) This episode is really uh, a good reflection of my process around losing family members uh, during my healing process. Uh, Before we we get into that, right? I have been quarantining, social distancing. I have lost count. Maybe this is week four or five. I don't know. I know today's Friday and I know yesterday was Thursday and I know tomorrow's Saturday. So that's as far as I can go. (laughs) But uh, in honesty, it has been a trial and error of how I feed myself. How do I walk outside, get some air, even though it is terrible outside most days. It was really nice um, a few days ago. It was like 80 degrees. And so we spent some time outside. But this quarantining social distancing is for the birds. I am over it. I am done not being able to be with my friends. But I think we found really awesome ways of being together, either through Netflix party or virtual happy hours or, you know, just quick check-ins, supporting each other. Um, in our, you know, new developments of businesses, family stuff, all that. So it's been pretty, pretty awesome to find that balance and just kind of giving myself some grace on days that I am just not feeling it, I'm not feeling working, I'm not feeling talking to people, I'm not feeling doing anything. Um, and I don't know about you, but I just really need this country to get themselves together um, so we can have um, our lives back. But I think it also makes me reflect on how bad our country is when it comes to supporting folks. Like this is really bringing us to our knees and showing us all of the gaps that we knew were already there when it comes to people of color, low-income families, you know, folks who have to work more than one job to make ends meet. Um, The fact that, you know, all the the amount of debt, the amount of people that are going uh, through unemployment and having to get on a ton of services to, you know, accommodate some of the things that, you know, they once had. Um, And now I've lost because, you know, job loss of, you know, um, getting sick, of, you know, having to take care of family members, of testing positive for COVID. Like, it's just a lot going on. And so I hope you all are taking care of yourselves and whatever that means, right? But um, just giving yourself grace and taking these moments day by day. Um, I know that it's impacting people on so many levels, uh, but I wanted to, you know, show honor to that um, and just um, hold on to the folks that have lost their lives um, to COVID uh, and the families and friends that have been impacted by that. So um, please keep those folks in your thoughts and prayers. So what did I know about grief prior to losing my granny? Um, Most of what I knew was that it hurt. Um, I never uh, had 
an experience uh, to where I was old enough to process that someone uh, I loved was no longer here, right? That the concept of um, watching someone be sick and ill and then they pass and then, you know, life has this process after that. Um, and, you know, I, I remember losing my grand, my grand, great grandmother when I was little, um, but I don't recall being upset or, or flustered. It just, I felt like I didn't even recognize that I was at a funeral. Like I saw a casket um, and then that was it. I saw folks crying and um, I remember not seeing her anymore. She used to bake me cakes and I no longer got those cakes, but it wasn't, no one had a conversation with me um, that she had passed. Uh, and that was that was a big disconnect for me. So as I got older and, you know, I'm around people who've lost folks, like in the moment they found out they've lost someone, you know, my, my immediate response is to shift into caretaker mode. Like I went and got them food. I, I'd stopped everything I was doing and went to, to be with them, um, spend time with them, you know, uh, get them to a place where they feel comfortable being alone and, you know, just having that process of, you know, again, being there for them emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you know, we pray together, those types of things that we, and we get through it together. But I know like in the back of my mind, I could not meet them where they were um, emotionally because I did not understand. Um, but I, I felt like I did a lot of self-work to, um, remove that necessity to feel like I needed to be there emotionally and really just paid attention to their needs and, and what that looked like. And so I found out that my granny was sick um, early spring of last year. And it might have been prior to that, but I felt like it was glossed over. So by the time it came back around, it was okay, it's cancer and it's terminal. And I was like, okay, that that's different. Um, so how long has she been sick? And I remember being frustrated because I'm like, you know, you all are waiting to the last minute to, you know, start telling people. And what was complicated, what, what made that complicated was prior to that, um, I hadn't had a relationship with my granny for 10 years. Um, and it was honestly really due to the fact that she didn't have a relationship with my dad, which is her son. Um, and they've just had a very contentious relationship uh, my whole life and even prior to. And so um, it was it was crazy for me. Um, I had my own relationship with her and it was up and down. There are moments where she was really lovable. She would oil my scalp. She would tell me stories. She would laugh. She would ask me how I'm doing. There are moments where I felt like she didn't want me around and I was a burden to her and she made it very clear that I wasn't her favorite uh, granddaughter. And, you know, that really took a toll on, on me emotionally and mentally um, thinking that I, you know, wasn't enough like that. That was part of that. And so um, I shared her middle name up until I got married and I made the decision to change my middle name uh, to my grand, my, my mom's middle name and then what I believe to be my great grandmother's middle name. So um, that was my ability to release and move on. And I had a conversation with my parents about it and they were talking about doing that ever since I was little and you know, making me feel like they made a poor decision of giving me her middle name. And so I think that played a part in my reasoning 
But I also just felt so emotionally tied to the negative because of that name. And so when she was sick, I remember uh, my dad saying, I need you to come with us uh, to Chicago. And I remember looking over my husband and saying, like, I let her go already. Like, th this was four years ago. I let her go. Like, why do I have to go see her now, even though she was sick? And I know that sounds really messed up but the reality of it is is that you know I've I've made choices to remove myself from people who remind me of my trauma because they were an active participant in it and I feel like she played a, a big role in that um, and I never told my parents until I got older uh, and so I was dealing with that all through out my childhood up till 16 because we of course moved away and so I made the choice to go and I remember us standing outside of her door waiting um, and she had seen my dad and my mom, and my brother already uh, a few times. And so seeing me would be new. And so I remember opening the door and my dad was kind of blocking, blocking her from seeing me. And so then I came in and I remember she stopped and she just gave me this look and she started crying. And the next thing she said was, I thought I'd never see you again. And I felt cold. I felt like, what do you mean? Like, why Like, why would you think you'd never see me again? Um, do, you, do you realize like you played a part in that? And I felt when she grabbed and hugged me that she was apologizing. As much as she didn't say, I'm sorry, it, it felt like she knew how she treated me. Um, and it took me a minute to warm up and, and let those things go. And I thought I had let it go and I clearly didn't when I saw her. And so um, seeing how she needed uh, her medication, that made me feel really awful about myself. Like how dare I um, feel this way about this woman and she's sick. And so again, my immediate response, caretaking mode, like started doing my doula work and explaining to her, you know, ways in which she can use things around her home to make herself feel more comfortable. And, you know, we talked and she um, she asked to see my wedding photos because um, I remember, I don't recall if um, we chose to not invite her or she chose not to come. I don't remember the decision on that, but, um, you know, she's able to see my wedding video. We're just catching up and, you know, she's learning about, you know, Jordan and I and what we're doing in Iowa and those types of things. And I remember leaving and, you know, holding my dad's hand and saying, you know, she's going to be okay, right? Like not knowing that they knew she wasn't, I, I felt like I left Chicago hoping that she'd be better. And so fast forward to August, uh, September, I can't remember which one, but we, uh, myself, I went home because my mom had gotten an award to, uh, she became the um, Nevada State um, Teacher of the Year. And so I went home uh, for a little bit to surprise her as she got her award. Uh, we went through that process and it was that night, I believe, um, the night she got the award, we were fast asleep and I got woken up by my mother and she said, um, your granny just passed. And I, you know, you're trying to wake up. I'm not processing. 
I'm still like on autopilot and I walk downstairs and I'm looking at our iPad and they have the camera facing her bed with her lifeless body. And I'm hearing screaming in the background, which I believe to be my cousin. I'm seeing my aunt, her, her daughter, um, her middle daughter, um, talking to her saying, you know, I love you, it's okay. You know, she goes over then to console my cousin and I'm just still trying to wake up because this doesn't feel right. Like this doesn't feel normal um, to back up, right? I She had asked for my number and my dad was supposed to give her my number and put it in her phone and that never happened. And to this day, I don't know why that didn't happen because I had asked for it. And um, what did happen was they had um, added her on Facebook so that she can see everyone. And so that did happen. But I wanted to talk to her and I guess time had passed and I didn't really pay attention. And so I'm seeing this and I'm seeing, you know, the, the um, ambulance people come. They check her vitals. She's not responding. They um, they call it and they pick her body up and they put her on a stretcher and the camera then goes to the um, apartment through the hallway and we're just walking with our family on camera as they are transporting her body to the um, ambulance to be taken um, to a funeral home and like that that happened so fast like it felt like it was slow but as I recall it it just felt like it speeds up and it doesn't make sense um, and I didn't know what to do or how to feel because I was just situated and being open to having a relationship with this woman and now she is no longer here. Uh, what do I do with that? And so I went through some stages of, you know, not believing it was real. It didn't make sense um, until her funeral. She didn't want a funeral. She wanted a celebration. She got cremated. Um, and I had a, I believe I had a training and it was either do the training or not do the training and go home. And I just, with my dad's side, I don't know how to be around them. Um, it, it doesn't feel right. And a lot of that is because again, there was so much tension in our family that I, I grew up not really knowing or understanding how to be around them. Um, I was made to believe that they didn't like me um, and you know, their behaviors didn't tell me otherwise, but that was the reality was, okay, they're family, but they don't want me around. They don't like me. Um, and even till the time I got married, it was a big tension about like who comes to the wedding and those types of things. And so with the celebration, I at least made sure to call as they were, you know, preparing to set up and those types of things and, you know, sending my condolences and everyone seemed to understand why I didn't attend. And um, they were just at least hoping that my cousin and I, you know, lead the ceremony and those types of things so that she didn't do it alone. But 
um yeah that didn't happen and so I remember seeing my parents again in October and I just I didn't know whether it was okay to cry I didn't really see my mother have any emotion my dad uh, seemed to be very out of it um, he cried and the next minute he just you know shut down seeing him shut down a lot this seeing him shut down isn't abnormal to me felt like my dad was always shut down and so um, it was even more prevalent at this point and so um, having to talk my mom through like how to support him and you know she ignoring me um, and telling me I don't know what I'm talking about and those types of things and I'm just trying to explain to her that you know he he's not okay he clearly is not okay um, and I remember that being the first probably um, starting point of what would lead to me losing my family too. So um, my relationship with my family is non-existent right now uh, with my parents and my brother. We got into it on Christmas Day and um, I was told that I was a problem um, that I am bringing issues into their home, they're fine, um, and that I'm making things hard. And so with that language, right, you either make a choice to stay and apologize or you choose to leave. And we had already had these conversations before, but this was the first time that I was told exactly what I didn't want to hear and was hoping that I wouldn't hear from my father that I was um, a problem after spending what I felt spending so much of my life trying to be the model daughter um, and make them look good even when I didn't feel comfortable um, and sacrificing uh, hearing him say those words was the nail in the coffin for me and so um, after that uh, I lost my aunt Tina which was my grand my granny's sister and then her and then their sister passed as well and I knew nothing about this sister I was told very young in my life that this sister was um, dead or in a loony bin it's literally what I was told because they said they said that she went to go get her PhD and lost her mind that's that's the story I was told and I believe I was like 10 or 11 when I was told that story at a Thanksgiving dinner right so now I'm hearing, okay, there's another aunt that passed. And then additionally to that, during COVID, lost um, Jordan's uh, grandfather. And I felt close to him because I, I don't have a grandfather. Like both of them are still alive, um, but I don't have a relationship with them. He uh, has been in my life since I've known Jordan. And I felt very close to him because he would call us and talk to me and we joke around. Like I felt like I had a relationship with this man. and and now he's gone and I can't go to his funeral as well. And so I, I went to no one's funeral um, because all of them were cremated um, except for Jordan's grandfather. And so we were able to see Jordan's grandfather's funeral online. And so I guess that would have been the first funeral, like actual funeral that I've seen. Uh, so this level of loss is all over the place. It's this 
you know, rejection from my family. It's this loss of relationship or uh, rekindling of a relationship. It's loss of um, not being able to have closure. It is um, loss of sanity sometimes because it doesn't make sense that people are no longer here. Like the person that you share life with is no longer here and so when I first said that right it was it was just a concept a thing but now I'm feeling this emotion and I don't know how to compartmentalize it and it put me in a very um dark place some days because um I would just cry uh when again my granny died and I would just cry all the time um it would come and go you know and the more I cried the the less longer it would be so, you know, initially it would just be crying for hours until I fall asleep to, you know, I'm in my office. I need to close the door for a minute and just let it out because it's just something would remind me of her face. Something would remind me of a time where we had a great moment together. Um, something would remind me of something about her. And it could be something so frivolous, like a key on a keyboard to lipstick to someone smoking a cigarette. It was just like these memories are just coming and going all the time. And it's like it's like you're taking an air. Um, it's it's like you're breathing in this grief all the time. And, you know, I, I think I only took maybe two days off of work. I felt like I didn't even have a right to grieve her because I didn't have a relationship with her. Like my dad could grieve her or my cousin could grieve her because she was around. But I felt like I didn't have a right. And that was something I had to deal with in counseling was, you know, am I grieving properly? Do I have a right? Um, what do I do with this level of loss now? Um, and even when I lost my family, you know, that's when I started to feel her. Uh, when my family and I had our falling out, um, I would think of my dad and want to cry. And all I hear in the back of my head was her voice saying, he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know that you love him and that you wanted him to do certain things and he couldn't and you are trying to keep yourself alive and and on on this earth and the way in which he's treating you is not letting you feel like you can operate in that manner and you know then i wouldn't cry because i'm hearing her and feeling her and, and i still feel her i feel like she's always with me um, sometimes I smell cigarette smoke and I'm not even around anybody or any place where there's smoke. And so that's what grief is, right? Like it, it, it opens up this other part of your mind and your experience and it, and it, and it alters it. It alters everything else that's around it. The way in which I move with people, talk about things. Um, I, I end up developing a stutter. Like it was that deep for me that I couldn't articulate things that I needed or, or was feeling because it felt so raw and real. And, you know, I, I don't think it threw my healing process off, but I think it added another layer of what is, what is this thing with my family that I haven't gotten past thinking that I did. That's a lie. 
um, but what have I gotten past? But I wanted to more focus on um, what grief taught me. Uh, one, there is no right way to grieve. There's no right way to heal from loss. Um, I talk a lot in this, um, in being Olivia, about you carrying it differently. I carry uh, these family members with me, whether I know them or not, whether I knew them or not, I carry them with me. Um, it is a communal thing as a black woman. I feel like that is a responsibility to um, recognize and, and honor my ancestors and anything that I do. Like they, they may not have been the best people, but they did the best they could with what they knew. And so accepting and acknowledging that my granny, particularly because that relationship was the hardest for me, um, was to acknowledge that she didn't realize what she was doing and forgiving her. And I forgave her a while ago because I had let her go and that was my way of forgiveness. But there was a new way of forgiveness of saying, okay, I didn't have closure with you the way that I wanted to. And I had to forgive myself around that too, that I, I wasn't a good granddaughter because I didn't try hard. Like I had to get past all of that and understand that there is no right or wrong way to grieve um, because you are dealing with an impact that has so many other pieces and foundational stakes that you are not always aware of. When you lose someone, you don't always know what is going to get hit in your mind and your spirit and your and your your mental capacity. Like you don't know what is going to get hit. And so there's no way to prepare for that. Um, and I didn't feel like I needed to be prepared. I think the other thing was that um, you need a focal point. So what exactly do you want to focus on so that when you are feeling that grief at its highest point, what are you needing to have around you at all times to remind you to bring yourself out of it when you're done? So that would be, you know, me making sure that I hug Jordan when I'm done, when I hug my dog when I'm done, like is something that I could have that I know would take me out um, if I'm sitting in it for too long. Um, if that means taking off work, walking away, uh, closing my door, watching a video, it was something I needed something, you know, holding a ball and squeezing it. it it's something to have on you at all times when you know that that grief is hitting at its, its highest point. Another thing is do not block grief out because it is going to tear you apart whether you feel it or not. Because I'm telling you right now, the mood swings, the mood swings are real. Because you're blocking it out, your mood swings are going to be swinging like you at an MLB uh, game. <laughs> Where they hitting that ball that, that damn hard and it going, you know, over 30 miles an hour. Like, listen, you don't want to be that ball when Sammy Sosa was hitting it. Like, you don't want that to happen. And so finding ways to let yourself grieve 
is so important. And you have to articulate that to the folks around you if they're in your personal space. So if you're at home, um, I, I actually sit in the bathroom with the lights off and that is my, that has always been my safety place ever since I was little was I sit in the bathroom and I just sit in the dark and I just let myself cry until I'm done. I'd scream, do whatever I need to do. And I had already had a conversation with Jordan about like, this is what I need. And, you know, I welcomed him sitting there with me. I welcomed him sitting outside the door. And I told, I, I you know, learned to tell him like, I just need more time to myself. Um, could you leave home? Like I was learning to find ways to, to tell folks around me more and more what I needed because I let myself grieve out loud. Um, and the last thing is um, avoiding it. Uh, you talk about blocking it out, avoiding it. Avoidance is such a, an immediate thing that we want to do. So I, I, I recognized when I was blocking it out that I didn't feel like talking anymore. I didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't feel like feeling anything. Um, I even was would tell Jordan, I don't even want to make a decision. He'd be like, what do you want to eat for dinner? I'm like, I don't know. And I don't want to, I don't want to make a decision about it. Something so small as feeding myself was very challenging for me to do. And, um, thankfully I, again, I have a partner and you all met him in the last episode, but that was that was something that was so complicated for me uh, to deal with was this avoidance mentality, um, and it's still to this day there. Um, it, it does it it feels a lot better. The grief feels a lot better because I've learned to sit in it um, and I let myself cry. I actually watched this movie, The Farewell. I don't know if you've watched this movie, but. Um, it has Aquafina in it. She's super problematic, by the way. But um, this movie I watched on Amazon Prime called The Farewell. And, you know, the family is talking about um, how do they keep uh, the, the matriarch of the family? How do they keep um, her terminal condition from her knowledge? So the family made a choice to carry that burden of, of knowing that she was terminally ill from her. And it was a um, familial uh, response to family, uh, older family who gets sick later in life. They've always had this history of keeping these things from them until it was, um, the last minute and they were going to pass. Now this woman has still been alive. The movie came out in 2019. So she's been alive six years after they found out about her condition. And so there's a miracle in that, right? Um, but, you know, they set up the movie for us to also be ready to let her go as a character. And so it was kind of odd to then learn that she was, you know, still alive um, after the, the movie was done. But I think things like that um, made me cry. Like, I wasn't ready. I didn't, you know, read the information about what the movie is about but I'm sitting here watching you know this granddaughter and this grandmother having this relationship and I cried and that's okay now again the boy avoidance tactic is to not watch things like that because you don't want to set yourself up emotionally to have to deal with that but I shed a tear for a couple of seconds and then I move forward and I think that's what 
we want to get to is so that we aren't feeling it so intensely. But you have to understand that you have to feel it intensely so that you don't have to feel it intensely all the time. And that's what I've learned is that you have to sit in it like you have to prepare whatever you need around you to sit in it, whether it's looking at a photo whether it's, you know, doing mindfulness and just really focusing on them. But you have to sit in what the loss is. I lost not only a grandmother, I lost what used to be my friend, my confidant. Um, I spent time with her after school because I was using her address. You know, that's a Chicago thing, by the way. <laughs> it might not just be a Chicago thing, but that's what we were doing. Um, I, you know, ate with her. I spent time with her. I traveled with her. She was a part of my upbringing and, and even a part of my DNA because she is my grandmother. It's 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 a connection that you can't um, just feel like it disappeared as much as I tried to make it feel that way, like it wasn't going to go away. And so I sat in all of what I felt was hopelessness and frustration and rejection and ugly and happy and sad and anger and um, wanting to break things, all of that. You have to sit in it. Um, and some people travel, some people do things to go sit in it, like whatever you need to do, sit in it. And so this past Monday, as I'm recording on Friday, this past Monday was her birthday. And this week was challenging for me because I had again to sit in it and remember her but I was able to move through it compared to months ago when this happened. Yeah, that wasn't a thing. So I hope this is helpful for you all. I hope this gave you some um, insight um, and knowing that there isn't, you're not doing it wrong and that you can honor them and, and recognize they're at peace and whatever, you know, religious uh, experience that you have, recognize that they're at peace now. You can talk, like talk to them Tell them how you feel. All of that's important. Hey, y'all. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast session of what is up with grief. Um, please like share with folks around you. Um, hopefully this provides a healing time for people, particularly if you are dealing with this level of loss and grief right now. And it, it could be grief and loss, not of the, of a physical person, but of a job of something that was important to you. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Grief is grief and it's real and we have to support each other. So please like, uh, and share uh, with folks around you, continue to process through it, write some of your initial thoughts down, uh, whether you're angry with me about what I said or whether you felt hopeful about what I said, all of that is real and true emotion. And I encourage you to walk through it because I'm walking through it with you. Um, check me out on Instagram at Olivia Revolution Cade. Um, please engage with me. Let me know how you feel about these podcasts. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all in the next session of Being Olivia. Peace and blessings.